Corey David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, some drivers have work to do, and not just to salvage a good season, but maybe their jobs. So let's talk about it. Plus, our Michigan preview and what the sticky stuff could mean to restarts and the latest entry from the Positive Regression Scouting Network. But first, as always, episode 29 of Positive Regression, this is the Kevin Harvick edition. David, even after all these years, honestly, I hate that we have to even talk about the number 29 because of what it came from. It came from Dale Earnhardt's death, the sudden need for it. Remember after Daytona 2001? Suddenly, at Rockingham, we saw this new number, number 29, with a rookie driver and Kevin Harvick, and wouldn't you know, he went out and made a a damn good career out of it after some of the worst circumstances. Uh, He really did, and it all started in that 29 car. Uh, That 2001 season, his unexpected Rookie of the Year effort, he scored a 1.343 peer that year, uh, which was above average for a 25-year-old driver. If I had to articulate his career in layman's terms, he had several good seasons with some bad ones in between until his age 37 season, uh, which was his last in the 29 car. In his prime years, he had no bad seasons, all good. Uh, in greater detail, he had three seasons of 2.0 peer or higher between the ages of 25 and 36, a span of 12 years, and between ages 37 and 42, and that does not count this season, he had six seasons of 2.0 peer or higher, a span of six years. So he, he has come out and said that he believes he was a late bloomer, but uh, I assert that that is how his prime came to pass was the elimination of some of those rough years that took place in the 29. But Alan, I want to, I want to talk to you about his leadership, his role at Richard Childress racing while he was there, because in retrospect, the impact of Kevin Harvick on a post Dale Earnhardt RCR, I think was fairly remarkable. Uh, even if Dale Earnhardt had not died, he and if he, he had just simply retired, there would have been questions as to an RCR without Dale. What might that look like? But Harvick, uh, he might not have been uh, well-received at the time, but he won races, and he certainly gave RCR an identity after the Intimidator, which... I don't know if it was foreseen. I think that was something that not every driver could just simply come into that situation and pull off. Absolutely not. And that's what that's one of the significant things I remember, especially about the 2001 season. Remember, back then, for you younger listeners out there, <laughs> this is pre-chase stuff. This was when a champion was decided over a season-long points battle. So missing a race was significant. And Kevin Harvick was not in that first race. And despite that, as a rookie, unexpectedly, in a top cup car, he finished ninth in points that year, which is, again, significant that he missed a race and still finished as a top 10 driver in the season-long point standings. That is something that always stuck out to me. He went on to win two races 
uh, that season. Uh, on the flip side of that, David, it also makes you wonder what a Dale Earnhardt would have done in a car like that in 2001, um, just to make the memories even more sadder. I hate to say, but we're talking about Kevin Harvick here. Um, but but I, I agree with you about the leadership aspect. Uh, talk about the toughest of situations to come into a top ride on a top team and um, not you know, make a name for yourself in, in a, in a good positive way, if, if you will, um, knowing that there's always the, the shadow of Dale Earnhardt over you in that car. Um, it, it was something significant. And I think Kevin Harvick made the most out of it, uh, at RCR at times when maybe the performance wasn't there, uh, the driver was, and, uh, I think Kevin Harvick really, really made a name for himself in a career in that 29. Yeah. I think I'll leave it to our listeners to respond as to how, Harvick resonated with them, but inside the industry, I would, I, I've been, I've been thinking of how to, to best express this all day. And it's not a situation of if you liked Dale Earnhardt, you'll love Kevin Harvick. It was more along the lines of if you loved Dale Earnhardt, you will kind of appreciate what Kevin Harvick is going for. It's kind of that, right? Like it's, it's the inverse, but I just think back that was to to be the glue for a span uh, over 10 years, 12 seasons at RCR following the the greatest driver arguably in the history of our sport and and certainly the fulcrum of that organization. I mean there would be no viable RCR without Dale Earnhardt, but to come in and have that kind of lasting impact is incredible. Yeah, and good memories too. I mean, the Daytona 500 win over Mark Martin was awesome. Uh, when they brought back that black paint scheme with the Budweiser, remember that when when all of a sudden black paint schemes came back, Harvick was the first to do that, and it's it's kind of phased out now. They kind of ebb and flow now. White schemes are back, but when that black paint scheme came back with the 29 car, that was really pretty. And then I just remember toward the end, uh, look, it was a big step for Kevin Harvick to leave RCR where they were still winning races and still producing positively and to go to kind of an unknown over at Stuart Haas where they started a team from scratch. And I believe I remember his quote correctly. It says, he said, I'm not leaving because we can't win a championship. I'm leaving because we haven't won a championship. And it looked like he picked the perfect time to go, matching his production and performance and potential with what they did at SHR. And he went out and won a championship with it. Certainly did. And if he if he wasn't a, a Hall of Famer already, established himself as a Hall of Fame driver while at Stuart Haas Racing and has launched uh, another organization, Stuart Haas, into a positive trajectory moving forward. Uh, along with Joe Gibbs Racing, Stuart Haas now probably one of the best programs in our sport. Yep. Kevin Harvick, episode 29 of Positive Aggression. Good memories of that 29 car, even though it started uh, from some tough circumstances. All right, moving on. Kevin Harvick, certainly nothing to prove this year. Uh, he's doing quite fine. Uh, obviously could be doing better, I'm sure he thinks, but he's got to win. We're not talking about drivers like Kevin Harvick now. We're talking about some drivers who still have something to prove, maybe, uh, throughout the rest of this year. Not only to improve their year and improve their 2019 season, but maybe to even consider them having a job in 2020 you know the rumor mill is out there uh on some of these drivers that we're going to name or it's not a rumor on some of them some of them certainly just don't know where they're going to be and uh, that is also out there so we're going to name some uh, drivers david and let's talk about them first and foremost let's just go with matt de benedetto maybe the most public of them all because after a tough start in that 95 lfr levine family racing car 
Uh, the last seven races have been awesome. Four top tens, his only top tens of the season, two top fives. But as late as Pocono a few weeks ago, when I talked to him, he says he's received nothing. No calls, no no assurance, no offers, no talk from ownership about if he will be in that 95 car next year, where he will be, if he even has a shot. It, it almost seems inevitable that he won't at times, but he's racing his butt off, racing for his life, as he says, and uh, he believes in himself. But what, if anything, that, that's a really the weird question. It, it, can Matt DiBenedetto, Matt DiBenedetto do anything to save his ride in the 95 car? Oh, probably not is is the realistic answer because if there is any question then it certainly pertains to the log jam at Joe Gibbs Racing and the Toyota Racing Development Program and it's either going to be Eric Jones or Christopher Bell inserted into the 95 car and that car will be lifted uh more along the lines of where Joe Gibbs Racing is currently at so i think now Matt DiBenedetto is just showcasing himself for other potential suitors. It's a shame he hasn't heard from ownership. Maybe he can just tweet at Bob Levine because that seems to be where uh, where his owner's at nowadays. But consider his season to date, Matt DiBenedetto. The first 15 races this season, and, it, and that includes the Daytona 500, wherein he led the most laps. But during that span, a negative 0.283 production and equal equipment rating. And we just talked about his recent stretch, the last seven races, that rating 3.321. How about that, Alan? Uh, Now, the road course finishes pop within that small of a sample size, but still that's a pro in his column right? That, that's a mm-hmm. reason to to keep a guy like that or hire a guy like that. If you're in need of a driver that can just go out and, and get you spots when maybe equipment difference is somewhat neutralized. He's had a lot of success on road courses and these uh, in New Hampshire, the, the flat mile tracks. It, it, it has been a season of growth for LFR. They ranked 28th in central speed last year. They're up to 23rd this year with DiBenedetto. And I think a lot of it stems from the driver. The shift was from Casey Kane in the winter of his career. He had health issues. He had personal issues. And the new driver is uh, is Matt D. And if you've ever interacted with Matt D, he's a positive guy. But uh, more importantly, he's hungry. And He's someone that you can build a program around because you know the effort that you're about to receive. Unfortunately, I don't think any of that matters to this particular ride because I think the the placement may be out of his hands, may even be out of his uh, his owner's hands. Um, all jokes aside, I think Bob Levine is going to make the best decision that is in the interest of of the organization moving forward. And that is going to be to partner with TRD. And I don't know that uh, DiBenedetto profiles is a driver that is in TRD's long-term plans. And that is just one of the crazy things of the sport, right? Is that that performance doesn't always uh, equal 
um, what you deserve maybe by what you're putting out. Uh, as you mentioned, they're 23rd in central speed. The last five races, according to motorsportsanalytics.com, they've jumped up to, I think, 17th. So w- with this little added speed, Matt Benedetto is delivering. What more can you ask of a driver, right? When you're giving him more speed, maybe better equipment, what have you, better circumstances, he is doing what he is supposed to with it. I don't know what more you could ask out of a driver. No. So now you just hope that these performance resonate with someone, someone willing to bite the bullet and and pay a driver as opposed to uh, taking on a pay driver. Um, th- that's going to be tough. Uh, Matt Benedetto made a big gamble uh, at the end of last year. Remember, he parted ways with Go Fast Racing and he didn't have a a home to uh to fall back uh it just so happened lfr then opened up and took a chance on matt and now he's going to be left in a lurch uh he's going to have to hope that that happens again maybe he's in a situation where he didn't want to leave but he is he is certainly pulling his weight on the racetrack all right next up uh one of the drivers i i guess who could fill the 95 should it be open Eric Jones, four top four finishes in a row. We're talking about young Mr. Jones right now. Uh, drove himself right off the playoff bubble. And, and I'll just say it, David, the, the more we've talked about Eric Jones, the more I see him perform. It seems insane to me that we are talking about him uh, potentially, that even a, uh, the, the thought of a rumor of him not being in the 20 car, somehow being removed from a car he's having success in, could even be a topic of discussion. I do not like it. Uh, I'll just say that because it just seems insane that you have this driver that is producing. Why on earth would you want to move them out of this situation? Uh, talk me off the cliff, David. I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, neither do I. Uh, I mean, and, and if you want to expand um, his recent stretch, nine finishes of eighth or better in his last 12 starts. That's, that, I mean, that is championship contention uh, minus the wins. I know, I know he hasn't added to the win column this season, but even still, I have to imagine that Joe Gibbs Racing is happy with his effort uh, because that run has been very good for this program. Uh, Jones has the eighth best peer in the series and his crash frequency, which is talked about a lot, it has quietly diminished over uh, this recent stretch. Kyle Larson, Chase Elliott, and Martin Truex have all crashed more this season in competition than Eric Jones, and uh, you won't hear about their names on the uh, the rumor mill for sure, but I, I think Jones is doing just fine. I've said it before. He profiles like a future superstar, and I'm either going to be obviously hilariously correct in that or... Uh, everyone is going to remember, hey, remember when that stat dude was really weirdly into Eric Jones that one season? That, I'll die I on feel the like, hill with you. I will die on the it, hill with you. Yeah, and, and I'm and I'm just really leaning towards I don't see why on earth you would roll over on Jones now, especially when it is really coming together leading into the playoffs, not only does he look worthy of making that that 16 uh, driver cutoff? But he potentially could go pretty deep. I mean, I, I maybe maybe he isn't an outright championship four contender, but final eight. I mean, based on how he's running, I, I just if he can just tread water, he can get there easily. 
Yeah, and I want everyone listening to play this game with yourself and with your friends. Driver one is a 25-year-old who's never, or will be 25 in December, and who's never driven a cup car. Driver two is 23 years old and a top 10 producer in the cup series, a cup series winner, and a driver that can get you top fives on a regular basis. Which driver would you rather have in your stable? If you said driver two, you picked Eric Jones and you passed on Christopher Bell, at least at the moment. Nothing against Christopher Bell. I'm just saying, when you already have a driver of Eric Jones's capability, why would you get rid of that? I don't understand it. So play that game with your friends and impress them, David. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I've, I've, I've tried to put myself in Joe Gibbs, uh, Joe Gibbs' shoes. I would stand pat on the driver roster as is just going into next year and maybe it's farm out Christopher Bell to LFR. Maybe it's keeping him in the Xfinity series another year. I Which mean, also he, seems he, crazy. So I would, I would argue with just as much vigor, with, you know, as, as that yeah, would be nuts. I, but, but, but at the same token, I mean, until, until something just busts and uh, a promotion has to occur, I'm, I'm still Joe Gibbs, damn it. I'm, it's still Joe <laughs> Gibbs racing yep. and Christopher Bell will eventually come to me, right? This is, the, this is arguably the top program in the sport. Why, why would they bend over backwards for a driver who has never made a cup series start? That, that is where I fall. I, I would just assume, just kick this can down the road, see how, see how Truex manages in his age 40 season look at denny hamlin's age 39 season see where we're at see where his sponsorship is at i don't know but i don't like situations that are forced because that is when mistakes get made uh you mentioned our next one and again i don't know why we're talking about denny hamlin i mean we made the show but whatever (laughs) but uh, denny hamlin I, i don't think he has anything to prove um and i haven't heard anything certainly for good reason about any sort of rumor mill about him not being at Joe Gibbs racing. So I think it was asked one time preseason before Daytona and it was immediately shut down and no one's ever asked it again for good reason. So I'll spin the question. I mean, does Denny Hamlin have anything to prove or or maybe you have an opinion on it, David, but I'm going to spin the question. Does Denny Hamlin have anything else to prove in terms of being a championship contender uh, this season, not, not we're not talking about jobs for 2020. I want to know if Denny Hamlin has anything to prove in terms of being a championship contender, a homestead winner this season. Does he have anything else we need to see out of him for you to put him as one of those final four? This week on The Athletic, I wrote about Denny Hamlin's last three races. And uh, in those races, he ranked third, first and third in central speed And that is his fastest three race stretch since 2015. His speed peaks have no predictive nature. They they don't yield what you think they are about to yield. But as I wrote, this might be different. Um, It is a, a crew chief in Chris Gabehart who appears to be a star in his own right. And Joe Gibbs racing as an organization. We talked about Eric Jones, Kyle Busch, obviously no slouch and Martin Truex already has four wins to his credit. But in terms of speed, they seem to be on the uptick heading uh, to the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs. 
And if Denny Hamlin can ride that wave and potentially collect more wins or just good results with fast race cars, he is a serious championship threat. Because as you mentioned, uh, Homestead, he's won three poles in the last four races at Homestead. He he can get around that track. He's very good there, at which point it just becomes navigating the, uh, the playoffs. Um, in the article, I wrote that rounds one and three include tracks where he has a, a pretty strong record at. Round two might might be the bugbear. He might have to just uh, just glide in, collect points and glide out. It is wholly possible that we're watching a new and improved Denny Hamlin. And oh, by the way, he turns 39 next year. So he's hitting those uh, those prime years. Uh, I included him on this list because this is a name that always comes up just when talking about Eric Jones, Chris Bell and the notion that what if JGR kept both and finally got rid of this underperforming Denny Hamlin. And I think the problem with that is most fans just don't understand how good Denny Hamlin is. He's currently second in peer uh, right now, and he's just about to hit his golden years. I don't understand why JGR, after all these many years of investment, would just willingly give up that point in time. And you know what? FedEx really likes him. And and FedEx is one of the last full-time primary sponsors in NASCAR. So that's, that's a much better situation than I think the, the public believes it is. Denny Hamlin is a heck of a driver and this 11 team is very good, especially recently. Yeah, no job issues, I believe, coming for Jen- Danny Hamlin anytime soon. And fun fact, we have the same birthday. That's how I always remember how old he is. Not He's a little older than I am, but we have the same November 18th birthday. Fun fact for everybody out there listening to Positive Regression. Moving on to another driver. Uh, this one may be different. Clint Boyer. Clint Boyer currently a 13th in peer rankings, the production equal equipment rating, the 13th best producer in the Cup Series right now, struggling on that playoff line to secure a playoff spot. Um, you know, sponsorship wise, we know he is not currently signed for next year. Those articles came out about a month or six weeks ago. Uh, I don't know what a sponsorship current issue is or uh, what the deal may be for next year, but David, I would think looking forward, the, the two potential knocks against Clint Boyer would be, you know, being 40 plus his age and the Cole Custer factor. Cole Custer, you would have to imagine, is going to be up in a cup ride at Stuart Haas Racing sooner rather than later, and that would mean someone would have to leave to make room for him. What are your thoughts on Clint Boyer and what he can do the rest of the season, if anything, to secure a SHR ride next year? Uh, First, let me speak towards uh, why he might be the easiest driver out. Daniel Suarez has a sponsorship link with Eris Communications. Eric Almarola has a sponsorship link with Smithfield. And Kevin Harvick is going to stay as long as Kevin Harvick wants. So just, you know, by all of that, Boyer is the odd man out in the instance it's Cole Custer time. I wrote about Boyer for motorsportsanalytics.com on May 23rd, indicating that he is often better than his gaffes, these very public mistakes he's prone to having. But since I wrote that article, 
He's been dwelling in the production gutter. His last 10 races, just two top 10 finishes, and his peer during that span, a negative 0.1. And it's not just Boyer for this number 14 team. Uh, Crew chief Mike Bugarabitz has... Uh, contributed in the loss of 65 positions this season during green flag pit cycles. Their position retention rate is currently under 53%. That is around 10 percentage points less than the series-wide rate. So uh, a lot of underachieving going on uh, in a time where silly season is heating up. That's probably not good. And, And Alan, if I may, I might be inclined to bite the bullet and let him walk off into the sunset and bring in a young Cole Custer, if only because Boyer is going to be one year older next year. And most likely things are going to look about the same as they do this year. Now, I'll say this. This team should make the playoffs. I believe they will make the playoffs. But the fact that they're on the borderline and fighting just that this situation exists at all feels like a failure to me because this is a Stuart Haas racing team. We've talked about the lack of sponsorship, but rest assured that team has plenty of resources at its disposal. This isn't what a Stuart Haas racing team should be doing. I have a lot of questions about this driver roster at Stuart Haas, considering the caliber of crew chiefs, engineers, uh, the campus itself, the organization deserves better. And if Boyer is going to underachieve to this point, and in the off chance he misses the playoffs, he's made himself a very easy target in the instance that they want to uh, go ahead and promote Cole Custer. Yeah, and don't forget, Cole Custer, if you go back and listen to our Prospects episode, look in our archive, it is right there. Cole Custer, one of the top cup prospects uh, that we listed uh, because of his age, and a lot of that was before he started rattling off all these wins this year. So just uh, proving what he his potential, especially for a driver of such a young age, and what he can maybe do in a Cup Series ride. All right, next up is a rookie in the Cup Series this year, Daniel Hemrick. Uh, again, I'm not sure of the quite of the situation in terms of sponsorship and what it looks like next year, but I can tell you that after his top 10 in Pocono, uh, I interviewed him after that race, and he made the comment to me, like you know, just really in general saying, look, we're all racing for our jobs, right? Uh, you can take that for what you will, but let's break down a season. He has one of the worst production ratings in the Cup Series, but give it some context, David, because he is a rookie. I don't know what you expect out of a rookie, but for a a peer ranking to be low, um, is that expected of a rookie Cup Series driver, or is he underperforming, and does he need to, you know, finish this season out more if he wants to keep going with RCR? That that is going to depend on the lens you choose to view it with. He has the 25th best average finish this season while driving the 22nd fastest car. So if Richard Childress Racing wanted to claim performance is an issue, there is legitimate claim to that. Uh, That is is quantifiable. That That is all truth. However, it would be ignoring his recent uptick in performance that 
we discussed on this podcast. I made him my most valuable rookie during the season's first half. He's two weeks removed from that Pocono run, right? Like that's, that's a seventh place finish. And it was a true seventh place finish. His feet are just now getting underneath him. Yes, it's been a very rocky season. And uh, and, and this past weekend at Watkins Glen, we're just going to have to ignore. RCR's cars ranked 31st and 33rd in central speed in Watkins Glen. That's not missing the mark. That's not even having a clue where the mark is. But if you wanted to harp on Hemrick's early season performance, I can't deny it. It happened. Um, But this is a driver getting better. The harsh reality of the situation is that there is a storm brewing in the Mm -hmm. Xfinity series, and his name is Tyler Reddick. And uh, our listeners wouldn't know, most NASCAR fans wouldn't know, but uh, within the industry, Tyler Reddick has one of the most aggressive camps underneath him. And it's led by his grandfather, who is the owner of a country music record label. So uh, negotiation is uh, is in his nature. They have been aggressively pursuing Cup Series opportunities since two years ago. They want him to be a Cup Series superstar yesterday. And Look, I mean, if you can you can piece it together right here. You don't have to know all the facts, but Caterpillar isn't a full primary sponsorship. Tyler Reddick has in recent years been able to piece together part-time sponsors or sponsors that have allowed him to compete in the Xfinity series. That might be a, a fill-the-gap uh, situation. It, it is entirely possible that Reddick buys Daniel Hemrick out of that seat. And if you're RCR, you're okay with that because you have a program fully paid for. And oh, by the way, Tyler Reddick is having an excellent season this year in Xfinity. And Richard Childress himself has said it in the media center at Charlotte. I was there. Tyler Reddick is a future superstar. So the belief is there. Um, unfortunately, what that means for Hemrick is he just he just might be a, a victim of circumstance. Um, in that scenario. So all he can do, similar to Matt Benedetto, is go out and perform and hope that there is an opportunity elsewhere. Interesting stuff. Let's move on to where the Cup and Truck Series are, the Michigan preview, the preview we always do at, in every episode. Uh, David, the Cup cars have been there one time already this season. Uh, let's look back. It wasn't that long ago, right? I think it was in June where Joey Logano got the win. Uh, what did that one race uh, tell us? I mean, you know, since then, there was in that first race, there were three Penske cars in the top 10. I feel like we haven't heard much from Team Penske. Kind of since that race, in terms of getting the wins, Joey Logano coming off a bad uh, Watkins Glen race, uh, still in the battle for regular season champion, which pays a lot of points. So what can we look back to on that Michigan race uh, that we can maybe pull and, and extrapolate for the race coming up this weekend? Well, Team Penske is a good place to start. Yeah, Joey Logano dominated that race, but the fastest car belonged to Kevin Harvick. So there's there's still, even though they went out, won the race, and no one could catch the 22 car in clean air, the Penske boys still have quite a bit to prove. There were two green flag pit cycles in that race, the first coming on lap 105, that coincided with the end of a stage. And the top five entering that first pit cycle were Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, Ryan Blaney, Brad Keselowski, 
and Chase Elliott. All of them pitted and forfeited those potential stage points. Now, some of that might be by design. There were three Penske teams in that group after all, and Penske's strategy this year has been puzzling, including this race, a race that they won. So eventually it it went well for them. It hasn't in other races. But some of this might have been just reacting to the lack of passing, the difficulty of uh, moving around another car in clean air that day because so many crew chiefs preferred to just eschew easy stage points in favor of track position on the ensuing restart. And Alan, I think that was for good reason. The short runs were horribly uneven. Uh, The outside groove retained position 84% of the time, while the inside groove did so 16% of the time. That's almost 70%. Uh, I can do math. A 70% difference. (laughs) Uh, hosting the show is paying off for you. Uh, <laughs> d- driver, driver said it was difficult to pass. Uh, well, this is where all the passing was. It came on. Wow, that's one of the biggest disparities I remember hearing on this show, right? Yeah. That's and, significant. And, 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 I, and I think we're going to see it more, but, but then consider how many positions changed place. The outside groove, uh, the first seven rows uh, those occupants gained a total of 97 positions, but those in the inside grooves first seven rows lost 184. Wow. So that that, that is going to be the race within the race this weekend. I think that is fair to expect that. Um, we went into uh, that Michigan race preview not really knowing what we were going to see. Uh, now we do. It's just a lot of jostling on the restarts and teams are going to strategize towards that. They're just going to put themselves in the best possible position, hope that the lane assignment works to their favor. And that is probably your best pathway to track position. Wow. And the biggest change we're going to have is from uh, the first race is that they're laying down the sticky stuff, the PJ one, the track bite, whatever you'd like to call it this weekend. But uh, that will be there in Michigan. And David, you wrote about this and you took an interesting, I always thought that, you know, the PJ one, the sticky stuff uh, has to deal with the racing. Like they're trying to improve the racing, but you wrote an article this week and, and really applied it to what it means to restarts. And I didn't quite understand that, or I was just interested in how, that's how you thought of it, the, the impact it might have on restarts. And I, I never thought about the PJ1 or the sticky stuff and restarts. How does that dynamic fit in? Yeah. So if you think, what what is the goal of PJ1 track bite? It is to uh, increase, incentivize side-by-side racing. And where do you for sure see side-by-side racing? It's on restarts. At Pocono, the disparity between the June race and the July race, the difference was, uh, it was a small improvement, but it was only, we're talking six percentage points. That is a minimal impact. It's not enough for me in good conscience to say the PG one track bite did anything. I encourage our listeners to go to motorsportsanalytics.com and read that article because I went into some of the reasons why it might not have worked, but it's a safe bet to assume that if there is any change, any impact, it's 
small. It is microscopic. And I think the the race you're going to see this weekend is going to look very similar to the race that we saw earlier this year, despite NASCAR's best efforts. This is going to be a race dictated by restarts. And look, the, the car with the clean air is going to have a pretty phenomenal advantage. Um, I think we need to prepare for that. Well, that's could be good news or bad news for drivers who did well or did not do well in that first race. And we have some drivers that are really needing some good finishes. And we're talking about those ones, of course. Last few weeks, we've been highlighting the drivers on that playoff cut line. What a race like this, who it could favor or not favor. Uh, David, I'll, I'll let you go first. But you know this Michigan race coming up, which of the drivers, you know, let's say Jimmy Johnson, Ryan Newman, Daniel Suarez still there, Clint Boyer right there on the cut line currently in, who is best suited for a race like this? Uh, I tell you, I very much like Eric Jones, um, but I am uh, comforted by the fact that he's driven himself into a, a nice spot yeah, almost uh, talk for the about playoff. <laughs> so I'm going to pick Daniel Suarez. Despite his struggles on restarts, we talked a little bit about that before Watkins Glen. He was actually the highest finishing Stuart Haas car last time out at Michigan, but his car was also the slowest of the Stuart Haas bunch. I will say this about the number 41 team. They are not making many self-inflicted mistakes. So if they can get to a point to where they are viable heading into the final quarter of this race, and they can take advantage of the restart discrepancy, and that's a big if, they can gain a finish out of this race. That's how much of a difference the preferred groove is versus the non-preferred groove. It can make a bad restarter look pretty good. Daniel Suarez has already done it once, and Stuart Haas dating back to 20, even 2017, the year where they first switched to Ford and it was supposedly a bad year for Stuart Haas, their cars ranked top of the board at the two mile tracks. So this is, this is an easy one to see for me. All right. Well, I will go with his teammate. I am also relying on uh, Stuart Haas racing speed and, um, you know, Ford, the engine speed and all that stuff that you'd have in Michigan. But but just on the speed charts, uh, you know, to the two mile non-drafting tracks like Michigan, you know, I think we include what Pocono, Fontana and Michigan on those. Uh, Clint Boyer, you see the 14 car in, in central speed. It jumps up, right? He's the seventh fastest all of a sudden when generally I think for the year he's about 13th. So he's got the speed on these big tracks. Uh, and so I'm just going to lean on that for a driver that needs a good finish. And in the small group that we're talking about, say, you know, Boyer, Newman, Johnson, and Suarez, I think a track like this, just in terms of the sheer speed where it could help the most, uh, is going to help Clint Boyer this weekend. So that, that's where I'm putting my dollars in terms of, um, you know, the Michigan race being who, who needs it and who it could benefit the most. I think it'll be Clint Boyer. And that would be a good bet. I mean, sometimes especially just the bigger the track, the, you know, the, the more crucial the car, you just need to take a step back and understand, wait a minute, who has the best team here? <laughs> like, and, and, and these two guys, Suarez and Boyer are totally well suited for good runs at Michigan. Now it's just a matter of they better not get in the way of their cars and, and how good their teams are. Um, because in theory, the car could carry them to the playoffs and capitalize this weekend at Michigan. 
Uh, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, treading water until you can get to a point to capitalize. Yeah. And if you want those uh, statistics for, for those listening out there on two mile tracks this year, central speed rankings, Clint Boyer is seventh. Uh, I believe the 41 is 18th, 48 is 19th, and the six car of Ryan Newman is 23rd if we're looking at just two-mile tracks in terms of sheer raw speed. So again, just like David said, take that what it's worth, but if you have a fast car and you don't screw it up, you should have a good finish over the weekend, right? (laughs) Yeah, agreed. Uh, And one thing we always do when we're looking at these races, what's one thing you want to see this weekend in Michigan? I'll let you go first. I would like to see if Joe Gibbs Racing can continue this role that they're building. Uh, I discussed Hamlin earlier. We discussed Eric Jones, but their speed appears to be on an upswing. And it feels like all four teams uh, at JGR are rounding into form right in time for the playoffs. And you and I have been pretty vocal that there, there aren't there aren't clear championship favorites. So I'm still sitting back and sort of waiting for something to pop. And if Joe Gibbs racing just keeps showing up to tracks with mind blowing dominant speed, that's going to be very difficult to ignore going into the tracks that decide this championship. So I'm, I'm curious. I just want to see if they can keep, keep doing this. I'm going with an oldie, but goodie. Uh, I just want to see something. Give me anything. But, uh, and I'm just referring to the first race where Joey Logano dominated, uh, led, I think 160 plus laps. I don't like that. Come on now. I want three drivers to lead at least 40 laps and just give us something to talk about during the race. Again, track position may mean a lot. The, the Certainly the restarts, as you've just heard, will mean a lot, but maybe different people will get in those different positions and we will see at least three leaders uh, lead 40 laps or more. That's what I want to see. A little parody, David. And remember last week I called for a little chaos and we got some at Walking to Glen. That was pretty fun. <laughs> can, I, can I posit a hypothetical? Sure, sure, sure. That Michigan race, if... You just removed Joey Logano from mm-hmm. it, and the race was just the cars from second on back. Does that change the entertainment value for you? I don't remember it specifically, but I'm sure it would have, right? I don't know, uh, you know, because the next person would have been the leader. There's a lot of weird hypotheticals, but I get what you're getting at. But you, I mean, you, but you take behind, him out behind of it, him, there's there, a lot of good there, racing, yeah. Yeah, there there was um, there was plenty of maneuvering. It was just difficult for drivers to complete anything concrete. But we talked about those restarts. That was something. If you're interested in seeing something, I'm just curious. That's where fans uh, seem to differ. Is if we just removed one car from the field. Does that change how you view each race? I don't know. I'm maybe, maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but uh, I can see if you certainly weren't a fan of Joey Logano, you probably didn't enjoy that race very much. Uh, but if you were, you love a good dominating race. <laughs> uh, let's finish it up with the latest installment of the Positive Regression Scouting Network. Again, we've called for scouts. You have answered the call. We want to hear your uh, reports about how some of the best up-and-comers uh, across the nation are doing, whether they be you know, in a series like K&N or, as I keep encouraging, if you're going out to your local racetrack every weekend, tell us who we should know about. Join the Positive Regression Scouting Network and let us know who we should be knowing about and learn about for the future, who could be the next uh, grassroots driver making their way up. We'd love to hear from you, and we've got our next installment, David. 
Yes, David Schott is scouting Derek Krause, the 17-year-old K&N Pro Series driver from Stratford, Wisconsin. David writes, Derek Krause has enjoyed great success in 2019. His simultaneous pursuit of titles in the East and West divisions came closer to fruition with every race, though recent uh, recent fourth place run at Iowa on July 26th caused him to lose points to Sam Mayer. But even then, he displayed the tenacity that belied his age and experience, battling back from a cut tire and spin on lap 35 that damaged his car to the eventual fourth place finish. Across both divisions, he has five wins and nine top five finishes, and his two truck series starts this year have yielded top 20 results, including an eighth place run at Dover. Alan, uh, I've noticed we have four prospects accounted for in the scouting network. Two of them, uh, Derek Krause and Sam Mayer, are from Wisconsin. Are you nervous that the cheeseheads are taking over NASCAR? No, no, that's a good thing. And we've got listeners there as well. There, I mean, some damn good drivers came out of Wisconsin. I could think of a few cup champions that came out of Wisconsin uh, and the rest of the Midwest. Uh, so, no, nothing wrong with that. I, I like that the, the pipeline is there and the next generation is uh, making up for uh, what some of the pioneers did. That's really cool to hear. Yeah, and, and I mean, Wisconsin, in all seriousness, is a hotbed. Uh, it's not unlike North Carolina, Virginia, Florida, even uh, Indiana for midget racing. When I scouted regularly, I felt as if we weren't paying enough attention to the non-hotbeds. I still think there's talent in Texas just based on population size alone. But look, the reality is that these states, these hotbeds, can allow drivers to race three or four times a week. And that will have a gravitational pull for most of the talent. And that talent then gets better because more practice means you're closer to perfect. And Wisconsin does that, uh, especially in the summer months, you can race there three or four times a week. So uh, it is a rich, get richer scenario in regards to the racing hotbeds, um, but uh, but fun. We, I don't know. We might have a, a glut of uh, of one state uh, drivers so far. Wisconsin. I, maybe I wouldn't have guessed that it would have gone that uh, that far this early, but uh, here we are. Let's expand the network, people. So if you're listening out there and you want to get a part of the Positive Regression Network, David, tell them how. They can go to scout.motorsportsanalytics.com to sign up. It is $3 a month. It will be uh, it will help support uh, the production costs of this podcast. Plus, uh, we get some intel on young drivers. They can be local. They can be your favorites. Uh, we want to hear what they're up to, how they're succeeding. And, uh, and who knows? This is your opportunity to show off your chops as a NASCAR talent scout demonstrate what you've learned from listening to positive regression and uh, and we look forward to reading them yes thank you to all the scouts out there and that'll do it for episode 29 another good episode of positive regression don't forget we are available on apple Podcasts, google play stitcher spotify podbean and luminary wherever you listen to your podcasts we are available if you like what you're hearing please leave a rating or review we really do benefit from that it helps this podcast gain some visibility your help in spreading the word telling your friends leaving a comment it really is appreciated because we love hearing the feedback from you guys and if you have any questions we want to answer them on this podcast 
podcast. So reach out to us on Twitter at PosRagPod. Episode 30 will be a big Q&A episode. So you're listening to this on Thursday. That means you're a subscriber. That is awesome. Start thinking of your questions now. Send them to us on Twitter. Again, during the race, if you're thinking about something, if you have a question, let us know because we're going to answer it on episode 30. Um, look, really looking forward to that. David, what are you working on this week? In addition to my usual speed rankings, I am writing about Chase Elliott for The Athletic. Uh, he's already very good, Alan, and I'm going to map out how he can become great and what all that would entail. I encourage our listeners to subscribe to The Athletic if they don't already and check out my articles and interact. Uh, they love it when you guys ask questions in the comment section of those articles. Uh, and I stop by to answer the uh, the more sensible inquiries. I think I think our listeners can give some pretty good questions. Uh, and you can check out my Twitter feed for all of that at David Smith M A for all the pertinent story links. Very cool. And I will make sure again if you're listening on Thursday, make sure you watch Race Hub on Thursday. The latest edition of What's in a Number just happens to be number nine. I swear we didn't plan it like that, but he goes out and gets uh, another win over the weekend, which means I had to rewrite my script that I had all done, but it'll be good. What's in a number, number nine. Uh, a lot of father to son uh, Elliot talk in that one, I promise. You'll like that. Watch my Twitter feed if you missed that race hub. But then I am off to Michigan. I'll be on pit road for the truck race, which is the regular season finale. There is still one spot up for grabs in the truck playoff. And four legitimate trucks that you would expect to have some speed that could go out there and steal a win and bump Matt Crafted out, which would just be damn crazy. So a lot on the line coming up on Saturday on FS1, and then stick to FS1 uh, race day. Your race day starts with race day, and I should have some cool stuff on race day on Sunday before the cup race. So that'll be pretty cool. I got a full weekend up in Michigan. So thank you, of course, as always, for listening to Positive Regression. This has been episode 29. Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Thanks for listening, everyone. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.